Okay. I'd like to explain why this event, this project was necessary. Uh, lots of people ask that. What, why, what's this about? Isn't this kind of a foolish exercise? And the thing is, many people would say this was just another war. In fact, is when, when we first started meeting and, and a few of us first sort of tested it out and, and did an event in Jerusalem, uh, a, a really well-known magazine with a very respectable editor wrote uh, an editorial in which he said a, a group of Christians met recently in Jerusalem to apologize for the Crusades, and I'd like to apologize for their apology. And he went on and, and talked about uh, how different the world would be politically if the Europeans had not risen up and pushed Islam back. I, I responded to him to, to say, well, I understand from a point of view of political realities and Western civilization and the interests of Europeans, I understand how, you, how you're thinking that way. But you know, this is about Jesus. Yeah. And it's about his ways. And it's about the kingdom of God. And there have always been wars, and, and often wars are fought in the name of the Lord, sadly. But there's never been a war quite like this, which was called by the institutional church. And, and where the people went out under the banner of the cross. And they went out because the, the scriptures were not available to them. And boy, that's a big deal. You know, when the scripture is not available, then, then our faith can become something completely different and still be called Christianity. And because the scriptures were not available to the masses, uh, therefore, the leaders of the church could call them to go and kill in the name of Jesus and, and think that it was bringing the kingdom of God. And so when they went, they went in the name of Jesus, they went under the banner of the cross, and they considered that they were doing evangelism. And their message was, uh, convert to Christianity or die. And they first decimated uh, Jewish populations right across Europe. And then when they got to, down to the, the part of the, of, uh, the Eastern Church, where um, there had been a split about 50 years before, then they began Christian-on-Christian -Christian warfare. And when they first came to a Muslim area, uh, well, I don't know if they practiced cannibalism or not, uh, but at least what they did to terrorize the first city, walled city that they took is they captured some children, killed them, and at least acted like they were eating them, roasting them and eating them, uh, in order to terrorize the city. I used to always get quite frustrated when, when somebody like Saddam Hussein, back when, uh, would say, it's another crusade. And you hear that a lot. Why is that? Well, because nothing has ever been quite so offensive as those acts done in the name of Jesus. And you know, I also think of the spiritual world. And when we do something like that, and, and, we, and it's the church doing it, at least the institutional church, and, and it's done in the name of Jesus, and it's all these horrific atrocities, and you know, that's just one of them. I could go on you know, making you nauseated with them. Uh, I think that opens the door to some real demonic things. I think it opens the door to spiritual activity that is very contrary to the gospel. 
And I think that's one of the main reasons why uh, so much of the world, a fifth of the world, is deeply resistant to the message about Jesus because it's been so twisted and, and it represents something completely other than the gospel of Jesus. So that's why it was necessary. And, and I think God wanted us to do it on the 900th anniversary. But if, if we go back a, a little bit, the guy who ha first had the idea, um, I didn't know it was him at all, a mutual friend said, hey, there's somebody I think you should meet when he heard that I was planning this. And, and he said, you should meet Matthew Hand. That's his name. And I said, yeah, I'd like to. Uh, I didn't know how important he would be in my life. And so we arranged to meet in Istanbul. I was taking my three sons out to, to go along some of the routes and, and to see how the message would be received and to take a special trip with them. And, and we, we were having a wonderful time. And, and uh, we got to be up in, in Bulgaria with a Korean guy who was planting churches. And it was fantastic time. Got to be out in a freezing cold lake in March, baptizing some new converts in Bulgaria. and. Uh, and, and, then, and then we were just due to meet Matthew in the airport in Istanbul, and we missed him. Our, our flight was late. No, our train was late. At any rate, we didn't see him. He knew that we were going on to Antioch, Antakya, from there. And, and he said that it'd be best if we met in Istanbul, and then we could go to Antioch together. But we missed one another. Well, when we got down to Antakya, it's a pretty big city over 150,000 then. And I thought, well, I have no way of contacting him. You know, it's pre-cell phones in Turkey. No way of contacting him. Uh, and we just prayed, Lord, help us to meet Matthew. And like on the second day we were there, we we're walking down the street, and I saw two guys walking toward me. And although they looked pretty Turkish, I just thought, I'll bet one of those guys is Matthew. And when, when we walked by, um, I saw that he was looking at me, and when we passed each other, I stopped and looked around, and he had stopped and looked around, and he said, Lynn, it's easy to recognize me because I had three sons with me, and I said, Matthew, and that was it. You know? and, uh, and so Matthew became our researcher and our academic, and Matthew was the one that gave so much credibility to all this, and uh, God had just prepared him. Don't you think that's an amazing thing? That a guy who, who gets saved by listening to Billy Graham on the radio and discipled by watching TV, you know, uh, and, and he's gone on to be just, just such a blessing to, to me and, and to so many. And he helped me understand uh, how a lot of the local people felt. But, you know, we, we, on that trip, we already began to get a feel of what would be happening. Because one, one time, we, the boys and I uh, were pretty tired of bread and jam and coffee for breakfast. And we just kind of really wanted something like an egg. And, um, <laughs> well, there's only one thing like an egg, is there an egg? Um, <laughs> we wanted eggs for breakfast uh, for a change. And so we, we were walking down, down the street in Antakya and, and we smelled something that smelled like cooked breakfast. I thought, what, you know, let's stop. And we, we went into this little shop and we, we were prepared to try to do sign language for an egg and can you scramble them and, and all that. And, but first of all, it said, uh, hello, do you, do you cook breakfast? 
And the guy said, yes. <laughs> I said, do you have eggs? Yes. <laughs> I said, great. Uh, where did you learn your English? I lived in Manhattan. <laughs> great. Good, good. Then, then and we said, um, could we have a, uh, some scrambled eggs? And he said, yeah, love to. Didn't ask for bacon, knew better than that. So, <laughs> so and he, he said, what are you doing here? And we explained what we're doing. He said, oh, it's wonderful, wonderful. And, then, and I began to learn something more about, about how, how all the great variety there is in the Muslim world. You know, it's not one thing. It's not some monolithic thing. And he, he warmed to us, and we warmed to him, and we, we chatted away. And, and, and pretty soon he said, um, I am, and he looked around, nobody listening. He said, I am Alevi. That means he's a, an Alevi or Alawite. Do anybody know what that is? Isn't it a descendant of the Christians? The they're, they're the smaller sect of Islam that, that rules, ruled Syria, ruled Iraq. You know, they, they, and, and they have slightly different views. And he said, my father always told me that we are closer to you Christians than we are to other Muslims. <laughs> and so we started talking about Jesus. What do you believe? And so on. And, and do you believe Jesus was born of a virgin? Oh, yes. Um, okay. Do, do you believe he lived a sinless life? Oh, yes. Yes. Everything. Everything. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Oh, no. Oh, no. God changed Jesus for Judas. So Judas died. The betrayer died because God wouldn't die. So, but, but what a lot of common truth to build on. And he's such a warm guy. So we were so encouraged because everywhere we went and talked about what we were going to do, people were really, really receptive. But I was still nervous about how, how it would actually work out. Uh, before we knew it, you know, five years goes really fast when you're trying to get that sort of thing done. Uh, um, it seems like you don't have enough time. And what are some of the other things that you would do if you had five years to get ready to get as many people as possible to walk from Cologne, Germany to Jerusalem? Marketing. What would you do? Marketing? Yeah. Yeah, you got to raise some money, right? You know, how, how do you do that? How, you know, there's so, so many stories to, to tell on, on this. It's just hard to know what to leave out. So I won't leave anything out. Uh, uh, <laughs> one of the things we wanted to do was, was you know, get to places where people were meeting and tell them about this. So, so one woman came along on, and, and volunteered to help and set up a, a tour in the USA. Great. So she, she went to all the sort of large churches that were that were sort of familiar with YWAM and asked them if, if we could do a meeting there. And they all said yes. So we had it set up for like nine churches. And, and uh, I thought this is going to be great. And we went into the, to the first church and, and you know, it was set up with a, uh, not in the main sanctuary, but in, in a hall with about 300 people or 300 chairs set out. And um, time came to start and there weren't this many people. There were about 12 people. <sighs> oh, well, next town. Mm, no, much the same. And the first was Philadelphia, and I don't know, then we went on and Memphis. And, and, <laughs> and in the end, 
the, the four of us who, who were taking the meetings, um, had a lot of fun uh, wagering on how many people would come. <laughs> and, and we would go, it was almost the same every night. We'd go in and there'd be a hall with, say, 150 chairs or 300 chairs or whatever. And we'd start taking chairs away, start taking chairs away, get it down to 20. And we virtually never filled the whole 20. Say, oh, man, what a disaster, huh? All that time and energy. But you know, virtually everybody who came to those evenings ended up bringing a team. And, I, and we had all the people we could handle. Now we had them from here and we had them from all over Europe, and, but a lot came from the States. And amazingly, it came, came from those people. That, so what looked like a, 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 real, a real failure turned out to be fantastic. Time after time after time, through those three and a half years, a team would show up and it would be somebody that was in one of those meetings who had recruited a dozen people and come. It was great. And how about the finances? I didn't know what to do except get, get prayer support going and, and, and see, see what happens. So we started taking people's names and, and getting prayer information out to them very regularly and telling them the stories about the Crusades and why this was necessary and all the rest. And, and then we got a little publicity and we got some articles in some magazines. And a, and a lady wrote to me uh, and said she'd read the story about what we were doing in a magazine and there was a $5,000 check in it. So I wrote straight back to her and said, thank you very much. And she wrote straight back to me and said, I would like to support this, $25,000 a year for the duration of it. That's all. I, I, don't, I don't want to hear about anything else. I just want to do this. And she sent another 15000 for the first year. And, and that supported you know, half of it, and the rest came as small gifts from other people. So we never really worried about the finances. We're able to go to Istanbul and make a video of it and scatter that around. You know, the, the buildup of it was so miraculous that I just knew God was in it. But still, when we started on the first day, I was nervous. We'd had, I think, three days with Lauren there and Dr. Peter Wagner there and, and Matthew there, and we're doing some storytelling of the Crusades and, and some of the principles of what we needed to do and why. But sooner or later, you had to come out of the meetings and start doing it, you know? And so there, there's a Turkish mosque in Cologne, and we arranged, we were going to walk around Cologne on the first Sunday, like it was 11 kilometers, and, and we we're going to stop at that mosque. And that was the bit that had me so nervous. I'd sent somebody ahead and said, you know, could we do this? And apparently the imam had said, okay. Um, but still, it was nerve-wracking to be 125 people walked. You know, we had about 300 there for the weekend, but 125 did the walk. And uh, we were all standing outside the gate of this mosque, ringing the bell to see what would happen. And nothing happened. It took quite a while for anybody to come. And then a boy came and looked around the corner and came and opened the gate and motioned us to follow him. And we went upstairs into a big meeting room. Not quite this big, but pretty big. And the imam came out, and he was quite nice. And uh, we did our presentation. And it just kind of melted him. And by the way, Matthew had developed 
the apology in Turkish first, and then we translated it back into English, translated it into Hebrew and into Arabic and all the other languages along the way. So we had it that day in German, and we had it in Turkish. And we, we read it out to him in Turkish. And when he got up to, to respond, he said, whoever had this idea must have had an epiphany, that is, a meeting with God. This is a wonderful idea, and we bless you for it. And then, and then after he finished the formal bit, he, he said, you know, um, I'm, I'm responsible for 600 mosques, and I will send this message to them all, all across Europe. Yay. And, and he said, also, a number of us in, in the Muslim world, um, scholars, are aware of the mistakes we've made in history. And we don't hear much about this. And he said, we've been, we've been looking at our errors in history and our atrocities and wondering, what, what should we do? And you've shown us an example of what we should do. Wow. Yeah. So it was a remarkable time, amazing time. And that, you know, those, those were necessary times uh, to, to give the confidence and the, the reassurance that, that this would work. Uh, you know, the hardest thing for me before I, I did it is I... I felt I had to, in my imagination, take a trip. I had to take a trip to somewhere, to a cemetery, to be standing with a family of someone who had, whom I had recruited to come on this walk, who had been killed either by a road accident or, or by hostile activities. And I had to be sure enough that this was of God, that I could stand at a graveside with a clear conscience. It's a big deal, isn't it? I was doing something and asking people to do something that was quite dangerous. And so all those kinds of experiences, when, when people responded like that, like the guy in Antakya and this, this imam in Cologne, those were faith-bolstering things. And you know, when God asks you to do something that is, that is scary, you know, not to put too fine a point on it. When, when God asks you to do something that, that is right out on the edge of what you think is possible, at times you think, I, I don't think this is going to work. He will give you reassurance. He will give you confirmation. Because faith is based not on recklessness, not on people who are willing to take silly chances, but faith is based on the word of the Lord. And we all have doubts about whether or not we can hear God's voice clearly. And so on really important things, we need to hear him confirming what he's saying, and he will on really important things. So let me just wrap up this section by saying we, we started walking uh, on, on that Easter Sunday, and the next day we walked from Cologne to Bonn, and I don't think I've ever been so sore in my life <laughs> to walk 22, 23 miles in a day when you haven't prepared for it. Oh, I learned... You know, get ready, get ready. <laughs> In fact, it was Michael and me, my eldest son, and, and for the last two miles, we, we ran, we jogged. Because, because the muscles that you walk with are slightly different muscles than you run with, some of them. And, and the, the muscles that we walked with were just gone. So, but we could still jog, so we jogged the last two miles. <laughs> and, then, and then teams carried on. And we had a team that went the northern route, and a team that went a southern route, and and they went 
right down through Europe all that summer. And they walked miles and miles and miles. They were primarily there on the prayer walk part of it. They weren't doing so much of the, of the message of apology. But they were fantastic. And they walked all this distance. And, and then they began to close in on the Turkish border. And I'll, I'll finish this segment with, with this little story. The thing about Turkey then, and to some extent still, is, is it's, it, it's a police state. And it, it has a government and all the rest, but, but with, without police permission, you just can't do anything in, in Turkey. But the thing is, with these hierarchical uh, police states, is that everybody's afraid to make a decision but the top guy. And the top guy's too busy to make the decision you want because he has to make all the decisions. <laughs> so so we, we could not get permission. We had tried to get to governors and all, and we could not get permission. And, and other, you know, th that was at a time when, when Turkish prisons had a, had a particularly bad name. And, and our team began to have nightmares about being arrested at the border or, or trying to walk and being arrested on the road. And we, so I went with Matthew and Kathy, uh, Kathy Nobles, whom some of you would know, and, and we were there in Istanbul trying to, to get to somebody who would make a decision, and we couldn't. And finally, like with two days to go, we, we thought, let's try to get to a journalist. So we went to the, to the head of the journalist association, and it was the first woman head of it. And, and she, uh, she was a very, very capable journalist, well-known, who wrote for the most influential of the newspapers. And, we went to see her. She gave us 15 minutes, and we sat down, and we just quickly explained what we were trying to do, and then we showed her the, the apology in Turkish, and she read it, and the tears began to roll. And she said, this is fantastic. This is so important. And she wrote a double spread, you know, the inside paper, both pages, story with photos of us and everything. Um, which, of course, meant that the government had to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so by the time the team arrived, not only had the government said yes, but the TV stations and the radio programs and the newspaper reporters, they were all there to meet the team and to do all the interviews. And, and from then on, we were hardly ever out of the newspapers in Turkey. We were even on the sports pages. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. And, and why, why is that important? Well, the only reason why it was important is because it helped prepare the way so people kind of knew what to expect. But we were not going for publicity. We were going for heart-to-heart, face-to-face connections. Because when you've met somebody who is purported to be your enemy, but you find that they are wonderful people with a gentle message, you can never feel quite the same about the enemy again. And one of the things that governments and, and power structures in this world do consistently is they set us against one another. They create us and them, us and them, us and them. They do it racially, they do it ethnically, they do it tribally, they do it nationally, it, they do it in, in political parties, us and them, us and them, us and them. But when you meet them, with a humble heart, you find out they are us. We're all us. And it changed my heart towards Muslims forever because I found so many people amongst them who are really us. You know, they're lovely people.
with much, much in common. Well, there's more stories to tell, but let's take a little break. <laughs>